0: Let's open our Bibles to Luke 1. Today we're going to be reading from two different passages. We're going to read Luke 1, 5 to 25, and then we're going to skip down to verse 57 through 80. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Elizabeth. for I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant, grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness for him all our days. And you, child, would be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness of the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. That's a long word, Jim. Thank you. (laughs) Appreciate it. Yeah, he said I got 20 minutes now. Appreciate that, Jim. I wanted to really bring the story together today. It's broken up by Mary's, uh, Gabriel's visit to Mary, which we looked at a couple weeks ago. But I wanted to do the whole story in one so we could get the impact of what took place in the life of this couple. As, as the angel Gabriel visits them in old age and promises them something that would have been shocking to not only them, but everyone around their community who knew them as well. Well, the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, said in the very last chapter of that book, the last bits of the Old Testament finish with such a great hope and promise. Here it is. For you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Those verses, that chapter goes on to speak of a prophet who will come and turn hearts back to God and prepare the way for the Messiah. But as we come to this story today of Elizabeth and Zechariah, their setting, there had been silence from God for 400 years from this passage in Malachi, the last bits of the Old Testament. 400 years without a word from God or a prophet from God. Now it's possible at that time, maybe they were starting to wonder Has God forgotten us? Maybe they thought He had forgotten His promises and who they were, and maybe they had fallen into a, a spiritual malaise, maybe after 400 years of silence? Until our story today, it's at this story in the Gospel of Luke that God breaks His silence and begins to break into time and space. As the angel Gabriel prophesies another miraculous birth to an elderly couple who is way beyond childbearing years. And by doing so, swoops this couple up into the grand story of Christmas. This morning, may we as well be intentionally reminded again that God comes to us. He brings his truth to us. He descends upon the world the baby Jesus. God brings us truth. Truth is not found within. It comes externally, outside, from God. As God shows us reality and purpose and significance in the Christmas story, we're going to look today at this couple's serving, their believing, their seeing, and their singing today to hopefully recalibrate our own hearts and minds to Him to find mercy and hope this Advent season. So grab your outline if you got it. Keep it open there. We're going to work through a few points today. It's there as a tool to fill in. And if those of you who are visual learners and like to take notes, hope you got your Bibles open as well to Luke and are able to flip back and forth. Let's start by looking at their serving. Serving God, we're calling it for the hope that he gives and not what you get from him. Serving God for the hope that he gives. And not what you get from him. Well, here, we're introduced to this elderly couple. Who are they? Zachariah and Elizabeth. Both of them associated with the priesthood for generations. Zachariah, as you saw, as, as Jim read, is an actual priest. He was probably one of an estimated 8,000, actually. it's a lot. We think maybe a couple priests in the temple. No, probably 8,000 that were broken up into divisions. So a fairly ordinary priest with 8,000 of them, position at that time. But nevertheless, he was a priest. And Elizabeth, who was from the line of Aaron, Moses' brother from Exodus, Aaron being the first priest of God's people as they wandered in the wilderness. So they've had a history of being associated with the priesthood for generations. And here we see a couple that in spite of 400 years of silence from God, faithfully serving, just faithfully living out their their relationship, their walk with God in the communal life of God's people. They're just living it, living obediently, living righteously, verse 6 says. And they were serving God into their old age faithfully. I mean, may this be the description of each and every one of us in our latter years or all through our life. So they faithfully serve, even in the midst of this silent, kind of dark period in the history of God's people, but we're meant to see something here, with this couple, in their service. Something that would have been, in any culture, would be a huge disappointment and discouragement, but in a biblical Jewish culture, would have been an acute, just burden, an absolute burden. Elizabeth was barren. She was unable to have a child. I know even this morning there's probably someone here that can relate to infertility issues. In Elizabeth, though, in verse 25, she actually calls it a reproach, a disgrace, she thinks. And this is what they believed in their Hebrew culture, that barrenness was a punishment for something. It was a reproach. It was a disgrace. And they must have had moments, this couple, And where they thought, we're righteous. the, The Bible says it. We're living a life for God. We're serving him. Why does he not bless us with a child? Why will he not give me the desire of my heart? Or maybe they had days where their thoughts swung the other way where they thought, we must not be faithful. We must just not be obedient people. We think we are, but God isn't blessing us with a child. And Elizabeth must have just felt this much more acutely and actually with a broken heart. But this is our tendency as humans, isn't it? We equate our blessing in life with God's level of approval of us, don't we? We equate the blessing we have with his approval. If I have what I think I need, well, then then God must be pleased with me. I, I must be doing okay. And if I don't have what I need, then God must be punishing me. He must just be punishing me. But it's just not true if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That's not biblical. You are accepted in Jesus alone. God is accepting of you as he is with his own son. Think about that. If you're a follower of Christ, he looks on you and accepts you the same way he does his son. Well, so what happens then? Well, things are going well. We have a tendency to get prideful. Things are going well. I must be doing pretty good and forgetful of God. But then when tragedy strikes, if we're thinking with that incorrect mindset, what do we do? We either beat up ourselves because we connect the the, the loss of some good thing with our lack of performance, or we begin to doubt God's goodness, don't we? In ways we never even have before, maybe. It's a horrible cycle we get caught in, isn't it? That's so available to us when we connect our performance with blessing from God. Our disappointments are, are incredible. They have a great way of exposing our bad theology at times, don't they? They just do. I remember counseling a new Christian some time ago, and he had gone from a spiritual high in his life to such a low. He had some sudden health problems. He had had some uh, 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 kind of unexpected loss of income. And he asked me, God's getting even with me, isn't he? God's getting even with me. And I told him, you have to fight against questioning God's goodness. That's just what the enemy would want for you right now. And I don't know how much my words helped him. But here, we have in Zechariah and Elizabeth a model of living through lifelong disappointment and social reproach with faithfulness before God. That's what we have in this this, this elderly couple. Now, while there is blessing and obedience, living a righteous, obedient life, it never guarantees that our life will be free of sorrow or loss and and heartache, like we see in this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. We have to ask ourselves the question when we do experience real loss, this question. Am I serving God to get the things of God? What I think he'll give me, or, or just because in him is life and hope, and I get him. Are we serving God to get the things of God, or just God himself? If it's the former, then you were never actually serving God, but yourself. Do you see that? It begs the question for each and every one of us, will we serve God through disappointment? Through loss of job or or health or spouse or or, or anything good in life, will God mean more? Times of loss are a great test to see and, and, and bring that question to our mind. Am I serving God to get the things of God or just God himself? And here we see this couple serving lifelong obedience with great loss and great reproach and stigma even. Was well, they served? Let's move beyond that to their believing, or in Zechariah's case, his lack of belief. We're going to, to look at their believing now—believing God in His promise, without demanding proof. They're an incredible couple in their service, in their following of God, and yet we see this aberrant moment with Zechariah of unbelief. It was we move to this encounter between the angel Gabriel and Zechariah on the biggest, biggest, biggest day of his professional career ever. This is like the pinnacle for him. And they had no idea what their family was about to get wrapped up into. Well, Zechariah, this day in the temple, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah to offer the incense, the offering uh, of incense in the temple. And given the number of, of priests, as I said, about 8,000, and the infrequent amount of times that a division of priests would serve, maybe a couple times a year, that, it, that his number would come up for this privilege, that the lot would fall on him, is absolutely incredible. It's, it's the pinnacle of his professional career. I mean, how many, think, how many professional athletes go their whole career without winning a championship. Most of them. This was was Zachariah's day. This was his win. This was a big deal as the lot fell on him. He'd have the privilege to enter into the holy place, the temple, and be in the presence of God in a unique way and intercede for the people with an offering and with a prayer. But, his great day did not go as he expected, did it? Not in the least. As Gabriel comes along, let's look at Gabriel's prophecy. We see in the text that suddenly, suddenly an angel appeared to him. And as normally the case, he was frightened. He was frightened. And angels are great and glorious and probably bright and magnificent creatures. And it's not surprised that he would be, respond in fear as these angels are glorious messengers, and he begins to Zechariah. Look at verse 13 with me. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. What prayer do you think? What prayer? Now, I was inclined to think that God remembered their prayer from long ago for a child. And and that might be the case, but I don't think it is. In the Hebrew, as it's written down, it seems to imply that the angel's talking about a prayer he had just offered, a prayer he had just said when he was lighting the incense. And since he doesn't believe Gabriel when he prophesied the child, what was he praying for? My sense is that he was praying for what any priest would have been at that intercession time with the offering, praying for the saving of God's people. Praying for the saving of of the nation. And it's possible it was the child, but the way the story plays out, it doesn't seem likely that he was praying for a child because when Gabriel says, you know, you're going to have a child, he's like, no way. No way. So he probably wasn't praying for that and possibly for the saving of God's people. And right here, God breaks his silence of 400 years and he picks up right where the Old Testament ended, where God promises to send one in the spirit of Elijah, the prophet, who will turn hearts back to God. God isn't done. He breaks his silence. And this son would be not just the answer to their old prayer, which he is, he's an answer to an old prayer for them, but he would be a new prophet, chosen by God, full of the Spirit for a new era of God speaking again and working in the world. And he would be named John, Gabriel tells him. Do you know who he is? He's John the Baptist from the New Testament stories and the Gospels who plays such a prominent role and paves the way for Jesus, the Messiah, and gets people ready. This wasn't just going to be an ordinary child. Yeah, they wanted a child. They had no idea what was coming their way. As you can see, look at Zechariah's response. Let's take a look at it. Gabriel's got this great prophecy as God breaks his silence. And then Zechariah's response. What incredible news. Incredible news. Now imagine if Zechariah could have talked when he got home from work and Elizabeth asked, How was your day at work, honey? (laughs) You have no idea. (laughs) But Zechariah responds to Gabriel, wait a minute, wait a minute. Look at verse 19. Excuse me, verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And Gabriel, almost you may get a sarcastic tone there. Do you know who I am? (laughs) Do you know who I am? Do you know where I came from? I stand in God's presence, Zechariah. And you're questioning? He didn't believe. He did not believe. Because of that, Gabriel strikes him mute. What's interesting, remember Mary a couple weeks ago? She says almost the exact same thing. But here's what we know. Their motives were different. There's two different types of questioning in the Bible. There's a type of questioning that is believing and wanting to believe and and wants more help with her belief. That's Mary. I believe. Help my unbelief. Zechariah is another type. He was closed off to the possibility. He just didn't flat out believe it. He didn't believe the promise alone without proof is basically what we're seeing. He didn't believe. So the angel gave him proof for a tongue that disbelieved. He gave him a mute tongue. And so Zechariah faces the consequences in this moment of his disbelief. Here's the challenge. Here is the challenge. Zechariah had his eyes so much more on his problem than the promises of God. His eyes were on the, promise, or on the, on the problems of his life, him and his wife's old age, more than the promise of God. And don't we do the same thing? Which is greater? Our problem or God's promises? Your problem or God's promises? One always looms in our heart and mind as greater than the other. They can't both be the greatest, can they? It's not possible. And we become so focused on our problems that we can't even hear the, 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 the promise of, of God. God. Or we forget and we can't meditate on or believe the promises of God. It was a great example I read this week of this, this problem. Did you know that you can take a quarter? You can take a quarter, and by holding the quarter up to your eye, you can block out the sun. Now, it doesn't work from out here, obviously, but you think about it. The closer that quarter gets to your eye, which, you know, this little tiny quarter... You can blind or block out the magnificent radiance and bright light of the sun. We do that with our problems. We hold them so close to our vision, like Zechariah is doing, that we block out the great, bright sunshine of God's wonderful promises over our life. Zechariah held up his problems as bigger than God's promises in this moment. And he wanted proof. He wanted to walk by sight in this moment, not by faith. I mean, think about it. If anybody should have believed, he should have believed. He's a priest. He knows the word of God. He knows the history of angelic appearances. He knows the history of God opening wombs that couldn't even have babies. He knows all of this. And in this moment, he's in the temple in God's presence even. And he wants more. He wants more. There comes a time, I think, when it's just time to rest in God's promises. A time when it's just time to say, I just got to rest in the promise. And that was it for Zechariah. This was the time for that. But his old age had become an issue for him. He couldn't look past don't ever believe that God is done working with you. Whatever age you are, don't ever believe that God is done working with you, even in your old age. Look at Zechariah. You are not forgotten. He continues to work. And I would say to any of us, those who are elderly, you are a vital part of the church and God's mission for the church until he calls you home. Zechariah couldn't get past his age; he couldn't get past it. Well, actually, if you think about it, those in old age—it's actually the way God has set up the church, for the elderly to disciple the younger. It's the way—it's it's the, the 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 responsibility He's given to the older generation, not to fade off into the sunset, but to go out burning so gloriously bright for Him that the younger generation comes along and says, "I want what they had." I want what they had. If you're you're not sure, look at the short letter of Titus this afternoon. Write that down if you're not sure. Read that this afternoon. The short letter of Titus, it's short. And the theme there of the elderly being used in their old age until God brings them home. You may feel youth pass you by or you just don't get the next generation. Don't let your age or any other problem for any of us, become the quarter that you hold up so close to your eye, you can't see God's promises anymore. And you forget the promises of God. Zechariah had that problem. But let's go on from their believing, or in Zechariah's case, lack of believing, to their seeing what comes of this story. They're seeing God's mercy and community, which brings celebration and praise. Well, Zechariah leaves the temple. He goes out, and with him goes this new revelation. He can't speak, yet out into the community breaks the mercy of God. God is speaking again. And he makes motions and probably writes things. And, but he is speaking again after 400 years of silence. And in fact, we know Elizabeth conceives, doesn't she? And the great... Wheels of motion. The great uh, mercy of salvation is set in motion here. Two women are now pregnant. Elizabeth and Mary. And the two men inside those wombs will absolutely change the world. And one will save it. And it's with the simple words of verse 57. Flip over with me now. The simple, just a simple verse that you and I can see that God keeps his promises. It's simple. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. There it is. There it is, the promise. He said it, and nine months later, it came true. The prophecy was fulfilled. She has a son, and many rejoice at his birth. Look at verse 58, and her neighbor's. And relatives had heard. The Lord has shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. What no one thought could happen, a barren old woman gives birth. It's happening. It's happening. And mercy has been shown. And the woman who'd been the reproach and stigma and outcast of her community because of her barrenness is now wrapped in the arms of her community as they celebrate God's mercy. What is mercy? It's one of two things. Mercy is God, when God doesn't give us what we truly deserve or when he removes some form of suffering, which he does here in the case of Elizabeth. Here God removes the reproach of Elizabeth. He's so kind to her. Imagine the celebration on that day. The birth of that child for this woman that's way beyond childbearing years. You know who probably could have caught the baby too? Mary. From her story. She stays there for uh, uh, six more months, or excuse me, three more months, six months into uh, Elizabeth's pregnancy. It's possible she was the one that delivered the baby even, who was there in that moment. The celebration on that day when she has this baby. Children are a gift. They are a gift. Whether you have them when you're young or grandkids when you're old or or spiritually adopted kids in the church, they are a gift. But this baby was not just a normal gift. This was a unique son, a unique child. This baby was anointed by God with a gospel mission, a gospel mission to pave the way the message of Jesus. And this is really truly the problem with Zachariah's unbelief. This was the problem with Zachariah's unbelief. Take a look. I love Kent Hughes' quote on this. It wasn't just a little bit of unbelief. This was serious. Because in his doubt that Zachariah, he implicitly denied the power that would be so central to the gospel. Namely, the power of resurrection. If God could not give Elizabeth the power to conceive... How could he raise Jesus' body from the tomb? The priest's unbelief was unknowingly subversive to the entire gospel. The power of life. The power of life and death. But nine months was a long time to ponder, huh? And to be mute. And also, probably deaf, we know, because they make signs to him. They don't speak to him when they ask for the name. Mute and deaf for nine months. And yet it was merciful because he knew it would end. Gabriel told him. It was a long time to ponder. As he watched Elizabeth in her aged body begin to swell with something that only a young woman can do. Grow life inside of her. As he watched probably every day going, I can't believe this. This is incredible. Well, not aloud, but in his mind, right? And they named him John. In an act of obedience, which would have been terribly confusing to the crowd. As we can see it, John, no, 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 no. You guys have waited a long time to pass on this family name. It's Zechariah, right? No, 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 wait. No, it's John. It's John. And the people started to understand in that moment, in verse 66, and they pondered these things. Well, what then will this child be? John, the Lord will do something special through him. They began to think over, this is not a normal family situation here. The birth and now this naming. And Zechariah in this moment of obedience receives his speech back and breaks out into marvelous song. Let's close with their singing a song of salvation that prepares our hearts for the Savior. You know, I may not know what your problem or your suffering may be today or what it might be that hinders you from believing God's good mercy in your life. And God may never remove your reproach or your problem in the timing you want, but he has broken into time and space. And the sun was beginning to rise at this moment. The sun was rising on the dark and broken, sinful world with great promise. And while the blessing of a son was wonderful for Elizabeth and Zechariah, there was an even greater melody to sing, a greater song to sing. Let's let's close by looking at this song with a few uh, themes we'll pull out of it. Here's the first one. A greater song of deliverance from the garden to the manger. Now, Zechariah and his song has all kinds of Old Testament allusions. The first one we see is that no matter what it looks like in your life, no matter the problems, no matter the enemies surrounding you, no matter how it looks like the cards are just stacked against you, God will deliver his people. God will deliver his people with the promises he's been making from the garden all the way up to the manger. Look at verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, Zechariah sings, for he's visited and redeemed his people. He goes on to reference the covenants, the agreements, the promises with David and the covenant with Abraham as we know. But it goes back to the garden, doesn't it? We know that. Our Genesis series, here's our verse, Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Remember that? The, the, the first gospel. The first gospel promise in Genesis 3. Here we see God keeping now, thousands of years later, and 400 years later from the close of the Old Testament, keeping his promises Over generations and centuries, from Adam to Eve in the garden, to Abraham as he went out and wandered to find a new land, and to David the king that would have an eternal kingdom. Promises they would never see come to fruition. Think about that. They would never see it. And yet they live faithful lives. We get to see the promises you get to see the promise fulfilled in Jesus. Do you hear that song in your heart? The promise and fulfillment of prophecies over generations that we get to live on post-resurrection that Adam, Eve, David, and Abraham never had. Never had. We have the true finished story of salvation coming to earth Through Jesus. So look past the quarter that blinds you. Look past it to the eternal realities that you can be saved in Christ. And someday all those hindrances and problems and pains and trials and quarters will be removed and gone. And you will see Him shining as He is. He's always been this a promise keeping God. That's what Zechariah is singing. In mercy, he saved us. He is saving us, and he will save us. That's the promise. All three. Look at his track record, Zechariah is saying. Look at God's track record. And as you see it, worship him this Christmas by trusting and obeying his promises because that's why he delivered us. The second part of his song. We're delivered to worship. That's where Zechariah goes in this song. He gives us the promises of covenant, deliverance. And he says, well, why? To worship. Look at uh, 74b, the second half. Actually, just do 74. "That That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might, here's the purpose, serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. You're delivered by him so you can live for him. Delivered by him for the purpose... To worship him, serving him without fear because he's shown us his good and kind mercy in Jesus Christ. If he's given us his son, think about this, and you're in him by faith, what do you have to fear? Your greatest fear is maybe death. You know, death is, in one way, the greatest thing that can happen to a believer. We don't wish it, we don't hasten it. We don't chase it. But when it does happen, it's the greatest thing because you're home with your Lord. You're back with him. You're with the one you were made for. So what do we really have to fear if he's given us his son? What did he have more precious to give? Serve him, Zechariah says, all our days. And Zechariah meant it, didn't he? He was an old man. He'd served him many days. Oh, to be faithful to the end. Do you want that? Do you desire that? Do you crave that? Do you pray that as Zechariah does? Keep me faithful to the last day, Lord. To live as Zechariah and Elizabeth did and investing, serving in the community of God's people long into their old age. And then as their son did, by pointing to the Savior. Let's look at him. A great servant who points to the Savior. Redeemed to worship to point people to the Savior. Zach presided prophesied this over his son. Have you ever seen those giant foam index fingers that they wear maybe at sporting events or you know different celebrations and it kind of, you know, we're number one. It's this giant foam finger that's index finger that's pointing. We're number one. Well, that's what John did. Except his giant index finger was pointing at Jesus. That was his whole purpose. From the womb, he'd be filled with the Spirit, as prophesied. He paved the way. He pointed the finger at Jesus. He softened the ground. He tilled it up to get it ready for the planting of Jesus' ministry. John's entire life was defined around Jesus. Jesus. Every parameter of his life, everywhere he went and what he said and what he did was connected in some way to Jesus Christ. In our secular era, we look for identity, uh, purpose, meaning, value, truth, inside ourselves. And if John does anything, if John does anything in his ministry, he, does, he, he shatters that view. And he says, no. Truth, meaning, identity, purpose comes from someone, something outside of me. I don't find it here. I find it in him as he points with that big index finger. We know it. John 3.30, his words, he says, he must increase. There's that big finger pointing. It's him. It's him. It's him. I must decrease. It's the tone of his life. He's saying, this, this man. This Messiah, this is objective reality. This is why you were made. This is purpose and meaning. You know, like a fish that was made for water. They don't do very well outside of water, do they? (laughs) Like a fish that was made for water, you were made to point to Jesus, to image him. And yet what do we do? We flop on the shore gasping, don't we? We flop around gasping for meaning, trying to find our life in so many other things. And John says, he must increase, I must decrease. And that's why we need him. That's why we need Jesus, to shine a light on our futile efforts of self-salvation. And that's what he does. It's our last point of this song. Zachariah's song is a rising sun of salvation. I'm going to read 77-79 through 79 again. He's preparing his way that's to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the song of Christmas. Forgiveness of sins will come through this baby that John will point to. Mercy is available, John is saying. As the sunrise visits us, it gives us, he gives us the objective light of, of truth to guide our path, to guide us towards the way of peace between God and men. One of the things I love about living in Oregon. Uh, And it can be difficult too, but uh, during the fall and winter we have those late sunrises. I like them because I get to see more of them because they happen later rather than at 5 a.m. Especially when I'm driving my kids to school. And they go to school out in Newburgh so it's a ways out. But what I love on those mornings when I'm driving out is when I drive out to Newburgh is that what looks kind of hazy and foggy on the way out looks a lot clearer on the way back. Why? The sun's had a chance to kind of come up. It's begun to kind of burn off some of that early morning mist and fog. And on the way back, it looks so much different than on the way out. As I see what the sun has done, as it's brightening things, showing the colors of some of those fall leaves, and the green kind of dew, a water that, that makes the beautiful green just kind of pop as it's burned off the fog. And this is what Jesus does. He lights up the world with truth like a sunrise. He burns away the fog. He incinerates your sin on the cross. That's what he does. That's the sun of that's the sunrise coming. That's the water you were meant to swim in. Not flop on the shore gasping but just basking in that beautiful sunrise. Don't flop on the shore. Swim with freedom, in the freedom of his forgiveness and love. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the the rising sun. You're the fulfillment of those prophecies to Malachi. Malachi that a sun would rise and we would leap for joy. God, fill our hearts with that joy this Christmas season. Remove those quarters in front of our eye, those problems that keep us from seeing your promises. Promises that were born in a baby, in a manger, 2,000 years ago. And just like you had other times of silence, you will keep your promises and return for us someday. Let us live out of that hope this Christmas season. In Christ's name. Amen.